0: Welcome to Chaplain Stories, sacred stories from the front lines of ministry. My name is Chaplain Caleb McCary, and we are going to be talking to chaplains about their stories, living out their calling, and ministering to military personnel. I'm so glad to have you joining us as we talk about faith, life, and ministry with our guests. Welcome to Chaplain Stories. I am Chaplain McCary, and I am here at Algier Chapel in Grafenwehr, Germany, a slightly different location than where I recorded my last interview. And I'm here with my new brigade chaplain, soon to be former brigade chaplain. And I wanted to sit down with him today and hear about some of his experiences in the chaplaincy, uh, as well as his experiences with RAF missions, which is what we're both currently serving on. So, sir, if you would introduce yourself uh, and tell us your current position.
1: I am Chaplain Jay West. I currently serve as the brigade chaplain for the 1st Armor Brigade Combat Team, 3rd Infantry Division.
0: All right. Well, thank you, sir. Um, what
1: did you do before you became a chaplain? In 1985, uh, Less than a year out of high school, I enlisted uh, in the uh, West Virginia uh, Guard, uh, served eight years uh, as a uh, security specialist and law enforcement officer. Uh, much of that time was spent uh, working full-time uh, while I was also completing uh, my bachelor's degree. Um, after after graduating college, I spent a a little less than a year uh, as a high school teacher and then in 1991 uh, was first appointed uh, by my bishop to a small uh, part-time United Methodist charge back in West Virginia. I uh, spent the next 11 years uh, pastoring United Methodist churches uh, in uh, both in West Virginia in Ohio during seminary a couple of years in Maryland, post-seminary, and then also spent a year in London, England, pastoring on a United Methodist circuit in England. And then in 1992, came on to active duty as a chaplain. So you spent uh, a lot of years in the pastorate then? Yes. When When I separated, when I ETS'd after eight years, I was done. I was taking the uniform off, and I had no intention whatsoever of putting the uniform back on. Uh, And I was going to to serve the church uh, in the local church ministry context.
0: So after over a decade of serving in the local church, what was it uh, that brought you into the chaplaincy?
1: Simply put, uh, an openness uh, to, uh, um, I I think simply being open to new ministry directions uh, from both God, uh, subject to being affirmed by the church, uh, of course, that little thing we call endorsement. Um, But I had, um, my wife and I, uh, our family had been appointed I in 1998 uh, to uh, to a church in a county seat town uh, back in West Virginia. Um, did a lot of uh, a lot of work uh, there and we uh, as I as I preached this morning we did a lot of Martha work. Um, and I quite honestly I I failed to nurture the merry moments uh, in my life and and that led uh, especially to some physical problems uh, on my wife's part, uh, stress and some other things, uh, which really kind of caused us to uh, to take a step back um, and really uh, do some evaluation, sought counsel from friends, spent a lot of time in prayer. And it became a, a matter of saying, okay, God, um, what do you have next? Because really I'd kind of been chasing what I thought You know, the ideal ministry setting was uh, the large downtown church, uh, the stained glass windows, the, you know, the large uh, sanctuary with the pipe organ and this and that, uh, all those kind of things. And it it led to a place that frankly uh, wasn't all that healthy for me um, and for my family. And so we, we simply had to say, all right, my ego's gotten in the way. Um, let let me get that in check here, uh, God, and and let me reorient myself uh, properly. Um, So I had a, it was another elder uh, from my conference uh, who was serving on active duty, uh, worked in the uh, chief of chaplain's office at the time, and he and I had had periodic conversations about the Army chaplaincy, and I'd always kind of stiff-armed him and kept him at a distance, had no interest, um, and so it became a matter of saying, well, okay, let's try this. Uh, what do we have to lose? We, you know, Back in, the, in, in those times, um, we, didn't, we didn't automatically have regular Army status. It was the, the three years, I think it was conditional, voluntary, and then it was voluntary something, and then it was indefinite. Um, but it was a, a reevaluation after three years. So uh, Pam and I knew that uh, at worst, we would invest three years, and we'd learn something. Uh, and here, 14 years later, getting ready to... Well, now in my 15th year, um, here we are, uh, still doing this. So you mentioned your wife, Pam.
0: Um, what did she think when you started uh, pursuing the
1: chaplaincy? She was actually uh, the, the one who, who said, at, at worst... Uh, It will be three years, and we'll experience a different ministry kind of setting. At best, who knows where God will take us. Um, She was ready uh, and and was highly supportive um, and has uh, remained so uh, ever since.
0: That's good. Well, sir, uh, when did you start, and what was your first unit?
1: Started as a chaplain?
0: Mm hmm. As a chaplain?
1: Uh, yeah, I started as a chaplain in um, June of 2002. Um, like we all do, you know, spent, spent some time down at Fort Jackson. And then just after Labor Day weekend, uh, reported to uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Um, and, uh, and by February, was gone. Um, and was in the desert uh, as we were preparing uh, for operations uh, during OIF one. I was assigned there at uh, Fort Campbell uh, to the Second uh, Battalion, Forty Fourth Air Defense Artillery uh, Battalion. Uh, went to went to combat uh, with that battalion. Um, buried soldiers uh, from that battalion. Um, during, during that initial uh, first year uh, of the war. Uh, and uh, worked for a couple of commanders who I still to this day uh, hear their voices, you know, that echo uh, around the back of my head. Um, had, a, had a great assignment, great assignment there. Um, went to their assault school and it was actually was on my way home uh from from air assault school one friday and uh pam actually called me and and said well you guys are going to war how do you know uh, the announcement had been made but of course we were out on the on the course um and uh not privy to all the uh goings on in the world around us we knew we were going but not when and, and the announcement was made uh and uh, Went to war.
0: So you were involved with that initial uh, invasion of Iraq. Correct. Correct. And that was
1: early 2003? It was. It was. I will... Yeah, one of the memories that, that really will stick with me forever as being in my battalion talk in the, the camps there uh, in Kuwait and listening as General Petraeus... Uh, came on with a net call, guide-ons, guide-ons, guide-ons. And he uh, then uh, conveyed uh, to the division that our next rendezvous with destiny lay north to Baghdad. Hmm. Uh, And we, uh, a few hours later, crossed the berm and were at war.
0: It's interesting because while you were Involved with that, I was in basic training at Fort Knox listening as the drill sergeants piped in the news audio in the PA system in the barracks of the invasion. So I think that was when things got pretty real for a bunch of bunch of privates in, in basic training while well, that was going down. I think that's probably when things got pretty
1: real for a lot of chaplains, too.
0: Hmm. Absolutely. Well, sir... Um, You've told to me a couple times that uh, 1st Brigade has kind of been the experimental brigade for these RAF, this RAF rotation. Um, And so you kind of led the charge in shaping what unit ministry uh, can look like during uh, a RAF rotation for uh, an armored brigade. And so I wanted to ask you a couple of questions uh, related specifically to RAF, Uh, And maybe that can be of some help to some folks down the road. Uh, The first one is, what have been some of the rewards and challenges of being a brigade chaplain for this RAF mission in Europe?
1: One of the challenges of the RAF mission is uh, simply the distance over which a brigade combat team operates. Our operational environment you know, effectively covers at a minimum nine European countries. It has expanded at times to as many as 11 when we've got soldiers involved in exercises. Um, so especially for our battalions who are east of Germany and are involved in the Atlantic Resolve countries. Uh, Atlantic Resolve North being Poland, Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia. Atlantic Resolve Center uh, being Hungary, and then Atlantic Resolve South being Bulgaria and Romania. Um, We end up with company-sized elements of soldiers scattered across a very wide uh, area. And it requires uh, great intentionality in the religious support planning to ensure uh, that, that our chaplains are circulating the battlefield in ways that both sustain their soldiers and ways that, that meet their commander's intent. So distance uh, is one uh, challenge. I think a second challenge is simply developing the concept as, as we go along um as with any as with any operating concept, um, you know, you get the big rocks in place and then you kind of live in to the little rocks. And a lot of the little rocks, uh for us from a religious support perspective, uh, deal with you know pastoral care over distances. How do we how do we support the religious support activities? that we are required to do uh, over distance. How do we engage uh, with multinational allies and partners? Uh, some of whom have a very robust and organized chaplaincies, others who are still in the developmental stage, uh, others such as we've seen some of the, the nations that we have trained with uh, during combined resolve don't have chaplain corps uh, assets, but yet they still bring those common human conditions and needs to the fight. Uh, so how do we, uh, learning how we as chaplains can care for all those persons uh, in our forces um, has, has been a developmental process. Um, understanding command and support relationships and then how we align and operate within there uh, especially as it relates to multinational partners and allies, uh, when we are either um, under uh, their control or they are under ours, um, you know. I'll give you a, an example. Um, I cannot give religious support material. I cannot provide that to uh, fellow chaplain sees, but for my reading, nothing says. You know, I can't give an individual soldier a religious support, an essential, what we would term an essential element uh, of religion. Uh, so that is a, that's another uh, both challenge uh, and learning point. you got to know doctrine. Um, we must absolutely have a firm grasp on doctrine. Uh, again, there are, there are seams that we can leverage legally uh, to meet, the end state of providing religious support to all uh, persons in our formation, but we got to know uh, what our what our fundamentals are in order to do that. Um, so those are some of the challenges that we've experienced. We we could, there are a lot more, you know. For example, I think there are questions in this environment that may not be replicated in other RAF environments around the world. You know, here in Germany, we're working with an established. Uh, garrison community. What's the relationship there? But east of here, there are no established U.S. Army garrison communities. So that changes some things. What do strong bonds look like in, in a in a RAF environment? Um, how do we use CTOF dollars? Can we use non-appropriated dollars? Who's my... Who's my, my GPC card holder? And so all those, you know, all those questions, how do we manage personnel? Um, a lot of those are echelons above brigade, I'll be the first to admit, um, but they are questions that impact how the brigade conducts its religious support mission within uh, the RAF construct. What have you found to
0: be rewarding about doing these RAF missions?
1: watching battalion chaplains grow and mature. Um, I have, over over the past two years, I have said it repeatedly that my biggest challenge has been staying out of the way of some doggone, highly talented and gifted battalion chaplains. Um, I am, and will always be, deeply convinced that the primary place where religious support is delivered is through our battalion chaplains and chaplain assistants at the battalion or squadron level. My job is to resource that and to synchronize efforts uh, across the brigade. Um, but it has been, it has been tremendous. You know, I've seen battalion chaplains uh, who did not know what a tab D looked like. Over the course of, of rotations at Hohenfels, which are, as you know, part of this this regionally allocated forces mission set, um, I've seen them grow to producing products that are used as the standard. Uh, I've seen battalion uh, UMTs. I've I've got a I've got a PFC in this brigade who is organizing support for our. Muslim soldiers, and who is rounding our Muslim soldiers up each Friday uh, to get them uh, to, uh, uh, to a, a civilian mosque here in Germany. It's a PFC doing that. Those are just two examples, and I could, I could go battalion or squadron by battalion and provide instances where chaplains and chaplain assistants have taken the lead and have made a strategic difference based on simply what I would say uh, gifts, graces, and professional skill. Hmm, absolutely.
0: And sir, I want to ask you a few questions uh, as you look back over your experiences in the chaplaincy uh, and just hear some of your stories. So I want to start out with What was the most physically challenging thing that you've done as a chaplain?
1: 12 and 3 at Fort Campbell. (laughs) 12 miles, 3 hours. Um, It's not all that bad, but, you know, we tend to come in out of the Army a little bit older uh, than most other folks. Um, And I, uh, my mind uh, tends to think my body can do more than my body thinks it can do. Uh, so there there is that disagreement sometime um, but um, that that was a challenge um, but I, I'm gonna and this is this is gonna sound like i'm I'm beating the drum here um, but if we if we demonstrate what I think all soldiers are called to demonstrate, namely doing good, hard PT every day. That's the biggest challenge. All right. Simply getting out of bed sometimes and going to do good, hard PT. Um, What I found over RAF, you know, there is a collective weariness uh, that this mission brings but that's true too, you know. Whether I've been to Iraq, wherever it's been, uh, you know, combat operations will exhaust you. Um, and I, I think we as chaplains, um, number one, we can't let ourselves get out of shape, all right, because that that runs the risk of compromising the care we can extend to soldiers. Okay? if I can't keep up, um, then there it. I don't think there's a nice way of saying it. You know, it compromises the religious support that we can provide. But I think more so than, than the physical piece, so that's a part of it. Um, drink plenty of coffee you know, is, a <laughs> is another key element. But I think more importantly than the physical piece is ensuring that we are taking care of ourselves spiritually, spiritually, and emotionally. That has been the far harder piece for me than has the physical piece. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with my, my PT scores uh, every time I take a test. Um, I'm not sure I can always say the same thing about my, my spiritual discipline and even my emotional health at times. Um, Although, again, in a weird kind of way, for me at least, PT helps with those things as well. You know, PT is a great time um, for me to spend time in prayer. Uh, it's a great time for me to unwind. And it, it just kind of helps get rid of a lot of the, the burdens. Um, and I don't mean bur- burdens in a negative sense, you know, but we offer a capability that is not replicated or duplicated Across the army. Soldier comes to me and wants to talk, that's between that soldier and, and his or her chaplain. It goes nowhere else. Consequently, I've found myself at time myself at times carrying things that I would love to jettison, but I can't. Um, and that is I think that is both an, an honor and a sacred trust that exists between the chaplain and the soldier. But that also means that in order to do that, I got to take care of myself. Um, And that means taking care of myself, not only physically, um, but emotionally and spiritually. So the answer to your question, what's been the most physically demanding? Now, I think we can manage a lot of that, but, but the emotional and spiritual piece. Uh, are at times far more demanding. Yeah. And
0: I, and I appreciate uh, what you said there because I know I've found for me that going out and running, specifically mm-hmm. running for me, is a time to kind of let some of those burdens go um, mm-hmm. and spend time alone mm-hmm. with God because we're around people mm-hmm. an awful lot, especially here. Yeah. So that PT can be a a good time right. of retreat. Right. Well, sir, what's the most spiritually challenging thing that you have faced as a chaplain?
1: I think on a daily basis, uh, again, it is those conversations that, call them whatever you will, pastoral counseling, I, I don't care what we call it, all right? They are conversations between a soldier and his or her chaplain. And I am on almost a daily basis, I am deeply in awe of a lot of our soldiers. Um, We've got folks in, in our formations who have faced almost insurmountable obstacles in life. And yet somehow here they are writing a blank check to the nation saying, okay, yeah, I'll go do that. Um, But having the privilege at times when they invite us to step into their lives and to share those really, really intimate and personal, sometimes struggles, other times stories, that they really won't share with anybody else. Um, and, and being invited to come alongside, to join in their story and to help carry that burden for a period of time is without a doubt, I think, the most spiritually challenging thing we do.
0: Kind of building off that, sir, what, uh, what would you say has
1: been your toughest day in the chaplaincy? Oh, there's no doubt about that. When soldiers die, not far behind that uh, is when a soldier's family member dies. Um, but... Uh, Yeah. Deaths are tough moments. Um, And here becomes one of those moments, you know, where you have to be careful what you say. Um, Deaths to include suicides are are deeply, deeply tough moments um, in ways that I really can't even describe. Being involved in response teams when there's been a sexual assault are moments I'd rather not be involved with because I'd rather stuff like that it didn't even exist, but it does. Um, and again, it, it even those tough moments tie back to um, what I defined earlier as, as the sacred honor of coming alongside people in some very vulnerable moments let me ask you this sir what what does
0: the chaplain bring to those moments that is unique and that is a uh a, a different than what some other resource uh, could bring to help
1: those soldiers and their families if the soldier has a faith tradition then the obvious answer is that we better be bringing faith into the into scenario. Um, I have no desire in serving uh, as a, uh, a generic counselor. Do we engage in moments like that? Sure. We are, I like, to, I like to believe that we are the Army's last generalist. And by that I mean soldiers bring a lot and a a variety of issues to us needing help. So I need to know all the helping agencies and all the places I can refer soldiers to when a referral is appropriate. But that's not my primary mission. My primary mission is to serve soldiers. Why are we here? Why am I as a United Methodist uh, clergyman Endorsed to serve as, a, as an active duty army chaplain because we've got United Methodist soldiers in our formation. And so I, I think that is uh, the easy answer uh, to your question. Um, and sometimes that faith can be as, as simple as saying, may I pray with you? Never presume that. You know, I never presume that, but I always ask. Uh, and, and I can't think of an instance where I, somebody said no. Um, but that is a critical capability. And I think the second critical capability we bring is absolute confidentiality. We stand outside a lot of the processes. Are we involved in the processes? Yes. But we're also outside. Outside. And there are a lot of things about the Army chaplaincy that we could discuss and debate. But one of the things that I am convinced we get absolutely right is the role of the chaplain who serves as an absolutely confidential confidant to that soldier. At the same time, we also provide a capability that's unreplicated anywhere else. If we're doing our job right, a soldier knows that the chaplain has unfettered access to the commander. There is not another person in the Army who is expected to spend time in a motor pool with the brand new, most junior of soldiers... But then an hour later, maybe knocking on the commander's door to say, sir, ma'am, we need to talk about a trend I've seen. Do you have a moment? And so caring for that. Um, those are three very unique capabilities, I, I think, that we bring uh, to the fight. Uh, and, uh, and, and we have to maintain. Well, sir, what was your
0: most rewarding day or event in the chaplaincy so
1: far? It's gonna sound like a cliche, um, but yesterday (laughs) and tomorrow, today would be the answer and the day after. um, Absolutely love what I do. I am often, again, dumbfounded that I get to do what I get to do. Um, And it is a, It is a vocation that I find highly rewarding. Um, I love embracing um, folks that we may never see if we were civilian clergy, whether that's a field service, whether that's a motor pool, whether that's PT, whether that's asking them if they've caught the latest Pokemon, you know, I, I don't know. Um, and so any day that I can engage with soldiers is a good day. And it's a rewarding day.
0: And I think you may have just answered this question, but if you have anything to add to it, I would ask
1: you, what do you love most about being a chaplain? I really believe the first, that, that chaplaincy uh, is very much like early church ministry. As a Methodist, you know, John Wesley, uh, we all know the, perhaps know the term circuit riding, um, where the emphasis was not on a particular building, but an emphasis was on um, how we convey the hope of the gospel to people. Going where people are. And that's not unique to my denomination. I'm grateful that for all those denominations that send uh, chaplains into extension ministries because they understand that it's important to send the church where the church may not be able to go. Now, by that I mean there are unique qualifications that we as, as chaplains uh, have. And we extend the church's presence. Into those places, a battlefield, for example, where civilian churches and clergy simply can't go. Yeah, does that answer your question? Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, so so you've been doing this for uh, for fifteen years now. So heading into it, had a had some a lot of experiences there. So, what advice would you give to a new chaplain who is just getting on the ground and just trying
1: to figure out what it means to, to be a chaplain. Be whom your endorser has sent you. And by that I mean, I don't need, for example, in your case, I don't need you to be a United Methodist. I need you to be the Southern Baptist that, that uh, Nam sent you to be. I need you to be fa- faithful to your ordained and endorsed identity. Along with that, however, I need you to understand that there are other faith traditions, and I need you to work collegially with those other faith traditions. I need you to focus on the fundamentals. I have, from the time I I assumed responsibility as a brigade chaplain, I've been consistent to say to the battalion chaplains here at First Brigade, I'm not looking for the next latest and greatest program what I want us to be is the most fundamentally sound unit ministry team in the division. Um, so mastering the fundamentals, you know, whether that's, whether that's honor, nurturing, and care, whether that's, as we talked earlier, dealing with uh, self-care, uh, PT, whatever it is, master the fundamentals. Um, and then fourthly, Battalion chaplains need to be out um, my greatest my greatest moments of ministry when I was a battalion chaplain and it still happens now very rarely come when I'm sitting in the office um, and don't misunderstand me administration and staff is an important part staff work is an important part of what we do. Um, But as a supervisory chaplain, I need my battalion chaplains where the soldiers are. So whether that's motor pool, whether that's ranges, um, that very well well may be setting in uh, an MDMP uh, process. Um, You know, I I hate the excuse I'm doing chaplain stuff. Hogwash, all right? Um, And there are stronger words I could apply to that. But what does that mean? From my perspective, PT is chaplain stuff. MBMP is chaplain stuff. Staff call is chaplain stuff. Whatever we're doing, wherever our soldiers are, that's chaplain stuff. So that's the fourth thing. You know, don't use the excuse, "Oh, I got to do chaplain stuff." No, everything is chaplain stuff. And fifthly. Um, <laughs> this may cause some controversy Um, none of us should think more highly of ourselves than we really are Um, we're not the commander the army runs off of command the army is organized through command channels we are not that commander we play a significant role in supporting that commander Uh, so understanding Uh, where and how we fit in to the unit. I think we do those five things. um, We'll be pretty good. Well, sir, as you look in your
0: Magic 8-Ball towards the future, uh, what do you see are some of the biggest challenges that are facing the chaplaincy down the road?
1: In a broad general sense, if we lose our pastoral identity, We will struggle. If we allow divisive societal issues to negatively impact the religious support to the Army that we are called to provide, we will struggle. If we fail to maintain um, a balanced perspective, and by that I mean what we commonly refer to as provide and perform, we will struggle. If we refuse to provide care, we'll struggle. Um, those I think are the are the the top of what I think about um, when i when I think about what may cause harm uh, to uh, the chaplaincy and the chaplain corps. How would you advise that a chaplain
0: maintain his or her pastoral identity?
1: The first thing that we have to do is know and be faithful to the doctrines and the teachings of our sending religious organizations. Secondly, we have to be intentional about maintaining those relationships with our our sending religious organizations. To illustrate, when I am able, and I've not always been able, but when I am able, I will attend the annual uh, training conference that the United Methodist Endorsing Agency offers it connects me back with my church so again being very intentional and finding ways continuing education all right most of our denominations have some sort of continuing education requirement or program we as chaplains yeah we're not serving a local church but we're not exempt from those so how am i staying sharp all right. What am I doing uh, intentionally to practice my craft, if you will, to, to use that language? And the Army talks often about being lifelong learners. That certainly applies to us as chaplains. And so if I'm not approaching the sense of my pastoral identity with, with the question, how do I maintain and even strengthen my pastoral identity. Then I I'd probably run the risk of at some point minimizing or even compromising my pastoral identity. All right. Well, sir, I, I appreciate does that, answer, that. Does that answer your question? It does answer my question. I'm not, um, not going to give you a, you know, a step one, two, three.
0: Well, I think um, that that's a. A, a challenging one to give a step one, two, three. It, it's one of those things um, that individual chaplains have to wrestle with. Yeah. Um, what what that's going to look yeah. like, but I think what you said about maintaining that connection and the uh, identity that maintains the integrity of that relationship with the endorser
1: mm-hmm. uh, is very vital. Mm-hmm. Uh, For chaplains. Yeah, there are a couple of questions that, you know, in my mind, and I ask myself this frequently, uh, who am I as a United Methodist clergy person endorsed to serve in the Army chaplaincy? And then who am I as an Army chaplain? And those two questions, you know, help shape my understanding, um, both of pastoral identity and chaplain identity. It's kind of a you know hand-in-glove uh, type thing.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, sir, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to sit down with me this morning. I had to grab you because uh, I know you're getting ready to go back home and, and really not very excited about that at all. Uh, so I wanted to make sure that I grabbed you before you uh, headed back to Fort Stewart, and I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me today.
1: Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. It's a mixed blessing, uh, you know. I've had a great time here as a brigade chaplain. Um, I will—I've I've said several times—I will absolutely miss the people. Um, I will absolutely not miss Camp Ocken.
0: Thank you for listening to Chaplain Stories. It's been great to have Chaplain West here with us today. If you like what you hear, please share the podcast with your friends and family, and tell them that you can find it on iTunes, SoundCloud or Google Play. Uh, We hope to have you tune in next time when we have another Chaplin story.